A scripture came from the 120th Psalm, and the reading was the first three verses, and it read as follows. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Very interesting psalm. I thought about what I would preach this morning, and I spent quite a bit of time trying to really wrestle with what may be going on around us, where people might be. And one of the biggest challenges that I think that people are facing in life, in this life, is not so much debt and all of the other things that go on, but we're having problems in our relationships. And the reason why we're having a lot of problems in our relationships is because for many of us, it's hard to tell if people are telling the truth. We're struggling in a time where people are just not truthful. So I want to I set this psalm up in a way that might not be readily apparent just from looking at it and reading these words. So let me give you an illustration that's going to set this up and then we'll dive into it. Is that all right? A fire chief who was very interested in making sure that his company was focused on efficiency in their operations called a meeting with all the firefighters in his unit. He looked at each person in his unit and he gave them very specific instructions of what he wanted them to do in the event of an emergency. He wanted to make sure that all of the firefighters in his company knew exactly what they needed to do in the event of an emergency. To the first firefighter, he said, I want you to be in charge of cleaning the pole so that there is no debris on the pole when it's time for the firefighters to slide down to make their way to an emergency call. He looked at another firefighter and he says, I need you to make sure that the engine is primed and fueled and always ready to go in a moment's notice. And he went around to all the firefighters and he gave them very specific instructions about what it was that he wanted them to do. Well, after he finished, he looked at the first firefighter and he said, what is your job? The firefighter looked at him and replied, to make sure that the pole is clean. The chief looked at him and remarked, that is not your job. He looked at the next firefighter and he says, what is your job? To which the firefighter thinking now wanted to make sure he got it right. He says, to make sure that the engine is primed and fueled and always ready to go in a moment's notice fire chief looked at him and said, that is not your job. The chief now in a rage looked at all of the firefighters and he said, I asked you what your jobs were and all that you have told me is nothing more than your tasks. Your task is to clean the pole. Your task is to make sure the engine is fueled and ready to go. Those are your tasks, but your job is to save lives. That is your job, and that is what we do. Your tasks only help us do our job. I, I, I like the story because 
we can become so easily caught up in the things that we do and the everyday tasks that we fail to see the big picture of what we are supposed to be focused on. As a church, we can be so absorbed in ushering and stewarding and singing and preaching that we think that that is all there is to the work of the job in the kingdom of God. Listen, we all have certain tasks and roles that we play, but we can become so lost in our daily routines, we mistake trying to do the things that only God can do. There are some things that only God can do. We can try as we might. We can be as tasky as we want. But there are certain things in life that only God can do. And so as we look at this 120th Psalm, which may seem a little strange based on the story that I've told you, I want to show you something in this Psalm. And I want to preach from a message titled, Let Go and Let God. Let go and let God. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. We've heard these words all the time, let go and let God, and we've sung these words, but Lord, we really have a hard time letting go. Lord, we don't know the difference between our job and our tasks, so we have a hard time letting go. So today, Lord, speak to this church. Use me, Lord, in a way that I've never even dreamed or imagined possible, that your people can understand exactly what you want them to do. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. The 120th Psalm is the first of 15 Psalms that were sung as the people were on the road to Jerusalem to offer worship at the temple at one of their festivals. From a geographic perspective, Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. And so all the people who were going there spent their time ascending upwards towards the city of Jerusalem. It is for these reasons why as they were ascending, they were singing these psalms, why these psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent. For they were ascending up the mountain towards the temple in Jerusalem. For us, these psalms serve to illustrate the mindset of a people as they meditated on their needs and the various challenges while approaching the temple or the church of God. It is enough to say that as they were making their way to the temple, they were not waiting until they got there to start their worship. They brought their worship with them to the temple. As they were ascending towards the holy city, as they were making their way up the hill towards the church. They were singing, they were bringing their worship with them to the temple. Uh, listen, listen, to be clear, their ascent to the temple was not just literal. It, it, it was also a metaphor for their trip to Jerusalem, demonstrating a life that is lived upwards towards God, where we increase in spiritual maturity, moving from our lowest level in God to our highest level. It's a metaphor for how we move in the church. It's a metaphor for how we bring ourselves to the place where we grow in God. 
The fascinating thing to note here is that these people had no problem going to the temple and offering their worship to God. Why? Because these people know the history of their salvation out of Egyptian bondage. They, they actually knew that their identity was established at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And they knew their future was going to be preserved because they had the wilderness wanderings to prove to them that God is faithful. So these people had no problem worshiping a God that they knew. You see, their experiences of what God had done for them in the past and their real experiences for what God was doing for them right now and for what they knew that was what God was going to do for them was enough for them to go up towards worship and bring their worship with them. You see, they knew God. They knew something about God. And they know that those who come to him must first believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So as they're ascending, they are singing. As they are coming to church, they are singing. There's a song in their heart. They are bringing their worship. And when all the saints gather together, they all come with their worship. And what you have is what we even experience today. I would dare say that the worship that we experience in the church today did not start when Eve started or when Ken started to sing. The worship came with you for you had some expectations of God. But the truth is, and as many of you know, as we travel this road of faith, moving from one level of maturity to the next level, we often fall and stumble from time to time. And it's in our stumbling that we need the assistance of those who have made it before to come along and help us along the way. Such is the life of the Christian and such is the life of this walk of faith. So the Psalms of Ascent serve as spiritual guides to us, helping us to keep on going, especially when we feel like giving up. So now that I've given you a context for the psalm, and I want you to understand those 15 psalms, 120 to 134, I want you to now see that there are some things that we can learn from these psalms as these people were singing them up their way to worship in the temple. I want to focus on these three verses as we think about letting go and letting God. I want to focus on these three verses. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? Brothers and sisters, let's hear, let's be clear. Our culture is changing. The world around us and the things that we see is completely different from what we probably remembered growing up. We live in a time when it seems like we are in, our, our entire culture is just submerged in muck and swarming with lies and filth. I don't know if you feel that, but that's just how I feel. I turn on CNN, MSNBC, I look at the news, and I just feel my skin crawl, almost as if the world is just getting worse and worse by the minute. I don't know about you, but it seems like the news around us is just laden with malice and mistrust, lies and corruption at the highest levels in all of our governments. I don't know about you, but the world feels real icky right now. I couldn't find a better word than icky. The word just feels icky. 
My skin crawls. But the truth is, it seems like justice, truth, the ways of God are as elusive as ghosts. And no matter how much you try to speak to people and try to appeal to their conscience, it seems like they have blinders on and they are immune to truth. Common sense isn't so common anymore. I don't know what is going on, but it seems like I can't get through to people with things that are right in front of their faces. What is wrong with this world? We simply are drowning in lies. I mean, the questions we ask is, is global warming real or is it fake? Is, is, is the weather being manipulated or not? Are elections rigged? What, what was it really, the Saudis that destroyed the Twin Towers? Are the Iranians... I mean, stuff just seems out of whack, and I don't know who to believe. Now, believe me, I'm no conspiracy theorist. I'm just raising questions because it's becoming increasingly hard to know what to believe these days. But the truth is, as long as we think that things like the next election might establish justice and eliminate corruption, or, or that the next scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or that even a raise in your pay is going to give you the life of peace and tranquility that you want, believe me, you are most likely to continue living the way that you've been living all this time. Furthermore, as long as we believe that there is something within our power that will be able to make things better for ourselves and the world, then listen, we will always fall victims to deceit and fake news. I'm just laying it out for you as it is. As long as we think that we are in control, we will never let go and let God. As long as you think that you can fix this, what's going on around us, not just in the world, but in your families, you will never let go and let God. As long as you think there's a part of you that thinks that you can impact Something going on in your life, something in your relationships, something with your children, something in your job. As long as you think you can fix it, you will never let go and let God. Put your hand in, in situations and what God does is he pulls his hand out of it. Because if you can fix it, then why didn't you? And oh, by the way, if you can fix it, you don't need God. So as long as there's a part of you that thing that you can solve your problems, you will never let go and let God. Now, as I said before, our culture is changing around us. But it is precisely this culture of malice and lies and wickedness and all of the bad things we can talk about. It is specifically in this kind of culture that we as Christians are called to live. God has planted us as the church specifically for such a time as this in the midst of this crazy world all around us. We come to church Sunday after Sunday to give God our worship. Why? Because God knew this day would come and you have been chosen. So what do you do with all of that? The Bible lets us know that we are to live lives that are counter to the culture. 
And it's not until we become thoroughly disgusted with the things that we see around us and the lies and as the Hebrew writer tells us and the sin that so easily entangles us that we are generally motivated to be more committed to our faith and to live the Christian life. In other words, things have to become so bad and so unbearable before we are willing to hold on to the tenets of our faith and what we believe. It is only when we feel like we have no choice that we are usually most willing to let go and let God. You have to feel stuck. You have to be broken. You have to be pulled from everything that you have been depending on and see that it doesn't work anymore before you are willing to let go and let God. So sometimes when God takes away stuff from us, we feel like it's hurtful and how could God let this happen to me? God is literally saying, don't depend on what you have been depending on. Depend on me. Sometimes God has to take stuff away that you like just so you can see that it's not helping you at all. Hard for people to hear. But God knows what he's doing. And his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Can you trust a God that wants you to let go? So the 120th Psalm speaks of a person that has gotten to the place where he's just a little bit fed up with everything going on. See? Now, now we've got this person who is getting ready now to ascend to worship, singing this song, and he's at the place where all of what I've talked about is where he is completely disgusted and sick of all the lies and everything around. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me even try to make it contemporary because lest you become stuck in the Old Testament and not be where this person is in the New Testament world that we're living in. This, one, it's, this person is, is frustrated with hate crimes and, and, and terrorism and school shootings and disease outbreaks, overbearing medical and pharmaceutical costs, gang violence, poor environmental stewardship, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, ISIS, Boko Haram. I could go on and on and on. And if you are like me who watch and pay attention, it's like all of this keeps bombarding you day after day. Can I just turn on the TV and watch Fred Flintstone? For a change. We are bombarded with negativity. And you don't even need to turn on the TV. Just turn on the radio. Yeah. Bombarded with negativity. And oh, by the way, if you think it's only on TV or the radio, walk into a church. And sometimes the people who are there, who are supposed to be giving God worship, are coming to you with the most negative things you can imagine. Bombarded with negativity. But the psalm is not just about an outcry in disgust. You see, it's also about a pain that is rooted in the possibility of hope. A hope in a God that can do something about it. It's about a person that is willing to let go and to let God. Now, I mentioned before that we are surrounded by lies. Now, you may think that the lies I'm talking about are the ones that are really obvious. The lies that, you, you know, you walk out there, you know it's a lie, and you're just like, I turn my back. What about the lies that we've been believing that are real subtle? L lies that say things like, human beings are basically good people. You know that's a lie, right? 
Uh, how, how about everyone is born equal and innocent? You, it sounds good and you like to think it, but it's a lie. You know, the world is a good place. No, no, it's not. You know, we're all born free. And, and oh, by the way, everyone can achieve the American dream. Or, or how, do, how about this that we tell our children? You can be anything you want to be. It's not true. It's not true. Now, I'm not saying that you don't want to encourage people. But you need to understand the difference between lies that have a way of getting deep down into your soul that before you know it, you can no longer recognize the truth. You see, you see, these subtle lies, they come in and they are contrary to everything that the Bible says. How I can prove it? Watch. You say, we are born in sin, the Bible says, so we can't be nice and good. The Bible says we are shaped in iniquity, so we're not equal and innocent. There is none that is righteous. No, not even one. As a matter of fact, all of us have fallen short of the glory of, of God. So the reality is our culture is a mess because we are a mess. So we can sit in the church and we can blame everybody. We can blame the Congress. We can blame the president. We can blame the, the mayor of cities. We can blame. Listen, the real blame is you and me. We are the culture. I can scream all I want and say how bad it is out there and miss what's going on right in here. We are the problem. And the culture is bad because we are bad. And it is here now that we understand the psalm. The psalmist is saying, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and he answered me, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What is he talking about? He's talking about how I have my soul so corrupted by things around me that I can't even tell how bad I am. The cry is an acknowledgement that we cannot deliver ourselves from the lies that are being told all around us. We cannot deliver ourselves. Are you hearing me, church? You cannot save your child. You cannot save your spouse. You cannot save yourself. And until you get to the place where you recognize that you can't do it, you will never let go and let God. You can't free yourself, even if you can think that you're talking to someone who, is, who can't hear the truth. You can't make them listen to reason. You can't change their heart. And believe you me, if it serves their good, they will lie to your face to get away. That's the nature of you and me. Give me the right reason and I will lie to you because that's my nature ever since I fell. The world is run though by Satan. And we need to understand that, guess what? The Bible says Satan is what? The father of lies. So, so, so watch this. Watch this. As I was preparing this message and thinking about it, uh, Eve in the garden, not Eve on the court organ, <laughs> Eve in the garden was powerless against Satan in her doubt. Abraham was powerless against him in his fear. Jacob was powerless against him in his deceit. Job was powerless against him in his afflictions. 
Saul was powerless against him in his fortune telling. <laughs> David, oh David, was powerless against him in his lust. Peter was powerless against him in his denial. Judas was powerless against him in his greed. Paul was powerless against him because Paul talks about what? This thorn in my side. Uh, he, he couldn't get rid of it. That gene that God had to say, listen, dude, my grace is sufficient for you. He, powerless. And, 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 and you and I, me and you, we are powerless against the devil and his wiles, his darts, and his schemes. For he parades around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. And the devil has been at his scheme for thousands and thousands of years, and no pun intended, but he's really good at what he does. So what are we to do, Pastor? You've painted a really hard picture, and... We feel stuck. What are we to do? What are we to make of all of this? What does this have to do with the psalm of ascent as the people are going up to worship? Brothers and sisters, in order to deal with the lies that permeate our culture, the lies that we see all around us, we need to look at only three things and then I'll be done in this psalm. The first task, the first task, now I'm going to give you something to do. If you don't know what to do, here's what you are to do before you do do. <laughs> this is the first task. The psalmist says, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord. Now, you might miss this. This is another way of saying, I pray. When you're in the midst of a struggle or trouble that seems overwhelming and insurmountable, you must pray. Now, this is not to say that you should put your head in the sand like an ostrich and then hope that the trouble goes away. That's not what I'm saying at all. Contrary to what the world may tell you in this culture, praying is sometimes seen as a passive response when people have no other options and they don't know what to do. Well, I want to make it clear to you today that praying is not passive or defensive. It's not a last resort. Praying is an active, offensive posture. It is a recognition that your real power comes from God and not yourselves. The Bible is very clear. I will look to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord. You see, th th the Bible didn't stutter. You want something to change with your children or your family or your job or your life. Listen, your help will come from the Lord. You may think it's coming from you or somebody you know or some relationship you have. Your help comes from the Lord. Nowhere else, the Lord. So praying is an offensive posture. It is, it is, and it, it's more effective in times of trouble. Because in the midst of lives, the, what does the Bible say? Pull out the sword of the Spirit. Pray is the first step, not the last one. Secondly, and it's in the first verse, the second task 
is where it says, and he answered me. Do you see that? And he answered me. So the second task is listen to God. Now I'm making this real simple for you. The first task is to pray. But after you pray, listen. We spend so much time telling God, and listen, we love to pray nice prayers. Oh, Lord, oh, God Almighty, you sit on the throne of high, and you are just so magnificent in your sovereignty. And oh, God, we can pray strong prayers. And listen, there's nothing wrong with praying with power and authority and calling on the name of a God that is above us. But after you pray, listen. Is the reason why after Reverend Brown prayed, they did what? The choral response. Why? Because they played the music for you to listen what thus saith the Lord. God is always speaking. He's got something to say. The problem is we're just not listening. We're too busy praising ourselves about how wonderful we just prayed. Jeremiah says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. John says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. God listens. He's ready to answer. But you must ask and you must listen. Listening to God is one of the hardest things that we can do because we can't sit still for a moment. I told you I had to go away for a few days to a monastery. I told you, hanging around with monks, no cell phone. And what was I doing? Reading? But a lot of time, it was a lot of listening. Because it's sometimes hard to listen when the kids are calling, when the phone is ringing, when everything is going around you, it's hard to listen. Sometimes we even try to get in our cars and try to listen. But have you ever tried getting in your car and just not letting the radio play at all? Have you ever tried that? You got to turn it on. I need a little something. I got, I got some meditation music in my car right now. If you listen to it, it'll probably drive you crazy. But why? Because I'm trying to listen to God. Listening to God is something that requires practice. And it will always take you out of your comfort zone if you are someone who always feel you need to be in control. You want to get out of control? Learn how to lose control. Let go and let God. He has something to say. Finally, the third and final task is let God be God. I was so inspired when Pastor Paul Martin said that the last time he came here. Let God be God. <laughs> Where do you see that in the text, Pastor? Right here in verse 3, verse 2. Deliver my soul, O Lord. Deliver my, that's a command and an ask of God. Lord, deliver. You're not going to ask someone to deliver something if you don't think they can do it. Deliver. But, but, but look at the subtlety in the text. I told you before that you can no more change someone's mind when they are lying any more than you can change a leopard's spot. You cannot change a person's mind. And, and, and so, but the subtlety in this text is that the, the, the psalmist is not saying, you know, stop those lying lips, oh God. No. It says, deliver my soul from those lying lips. 
People will always find a way to come after you with things that you know are not true. And try as you might, you can't stop them from slandering you mercilessly, which will cause you even a tremendous amount of distress in your life. Listen, to be accused and slandered and misrepresented falsely is one of the highest forms of personal attacks. And it is even worse when those attacks come from people who are closest to you. Betrayal is painful. And we know that Jesus is no stranger to betrayal. So what am I saying? Pray. Listen. And let God be God. Those are your tasks. Pray, listen, and let God be God. How long you should pray for? I don't know. Sometimes my best prayers, you all hear me pray for the church all the time. Sometimes my best prayers when you don't see me is, Lord, help. That's it. Lord, help. That's sometimes my best prayers because it's coming from the depth of my heart where I realize I've come to the end of myself. And after I say, help, Lord, listen. How long you listen for, I don't know. God speaks whenever he wants to. But if he has something to say to me, believe me, I don't want to miss it. And then you let God be God. So in the midst of all the cultural lies and the issues that we see all around us, with all the struggles and the problems, these are your tasks. And just like I shared with the firefighter, about the firefighter, he says, listen, your tasks are not your job. So as I close this message, the question then becomes, Pastor, what then is our job? I get that ushering and singing in the worship team, and I get that, 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 that preaching and, and doing all of the things and serving our tasks, but then, Pastor, what is my job? You were made for God's good pleasure. You were designed and fashioned by God. Created so you could be a reflection of his glory as he has formed you and created you in his very image. And so, my brothers and my sisters, as the Bible lets us know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I'm trying to tell you that your job, your only job, is worship. Worship. That's your job. Worship. When you ush, you are preparing for worship. When you, when, 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 when you preach, it's worship. When you give, it's worship. When they sing, it's worship. When, when everything going on, all of the tasks that we do inside the house of God is designed to bring us to the place of worship. And when you can worship God from your depth of your soul, then God does what only God can do. The quickest way to get to the deliverance you're looking for is to worship. You start to worship God, God starts to fix the problems all around you. The problem is you're not giving God anything to work with because you're not worshiping. And to make matters worse, you think that you need, you can piggyback on other people's worship. So you come here looking for people who are already in worship and try to get a little bit of the blessing. You gotta bring it. And when you bring your worship and everyone brings their worship, God does the miraculous. He starts to change lives. He starts to move on the hearts of your children. He starts to move on the hearts of a people. And when he starts to move on the hearts of a people in a city, he starts to move in a culture. And when he moves in the culture, he changes the nation. And if the nation starts to change, you can change the world. And so 
oh, my brothers and my sisters, here is my message. Let go and let God change the world. You can't do it in your own strength, but where two or more are gathered, he is there in the midst. And so when you come with a praise, despite what the culture says, when you come with a worship, despite what you see around us, when you come to the house of the Lord, knowing that right now you don't even feel like being in church, but you pressed your way to get here so that you don't miss one bit of the worship. God will move. We are frustrated in our lives because we have forgotten to make first things first. God will not allow a sparrow to fall to the ground without him knowing about it. So how much more would he care about you? What are you looking for? What are you waiting for? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you want to do your jobs, not your task, look to Jesus. Look only to Jesus and then God will do the rest. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to play church anymore. You have no idea how excited I am even right today. I came and I think I told the worship team downstairs, I said, listen, from the start of the year, you guys have been coming with enthusiasm. It is music to my soul. Y'all are singing like this is, like, like something went off. You know what that does to people who are feeling down, broken, and they come here and they're able to be lifted because you came with worship? That's our job. Don't get hung up on a song. Don't get hung up on a ush. Don't get hung up on a preacher who might not necessarily say the words the right way. Don't wait for us. Bring your worship. Because your worship is what's going to help me worship. Your worship. So if you keep, if everybody comes here waiting for the pastor to bring his worship, you know what's going to happen? I'm not going to have anything left. Yesterday we had a memorial service and something struck me when a young lady said, when the deceased passed, she died empty. She died empty. And I wondered what that meant. And what she said was, she gave everything she had to everyone. So when she died, she died empty. And I made the point that if she died empty, then all of us who remain are full. Jesus left an empty tomb. Jesus died empty because he gave you and me everything he had. His entire life, he gave it to us. And when he died on Calvary's tree and he left empty, he left us full. So church, let this be a day where you really start to pay attention to how you come to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. 
Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is a blessed place because we come with our worship and we leave full of the Spirit. So let go and let God do what only God can do. May the Lord richly bless you my beloved.